Thank you, Meadowbrook, for the chance to come and be with you. In the bulletin it says I'm Jacob Boss, but I'm not. I'm better looking. <laughs> but I'm not as eloquent, so, uh, you know, there's a give and take here. Uh, Jacob really wanted to be here, and I bring greetings from the Eurofinity and our president, Paul Chitwood, and the IMB. We are very, very, very grateful for churches like Meadowbrook who have joined us in seeing the Great Commission lived out and accomplished around the globe and not just here in Birmingham. So we're thankful for you. We're thankful for your generosity, for your giving, for your participation in Lottie Moon. We couldn't do what we do without you. And uh, we hear it all the time when we visit churches. Oh, Jason, Karen, we're so thankful for your sacrifice. We're not sacrificing. We're living out this great adventure where we're chasing after God's desire and calling on our lives. And you're sacrificing. And that makes that possible. So we want to say to you, thank you for your sacrifice. And thank you for the way you are engaging the nations through not just giving, but through supporting and encouraging. Um, Kevin and David and I met last April at a church here in town, Shades Mountain. And I heard they were going to Moldova, and Karen and I just recently took over the leadership for Eastern Europe for our, for our organization. And uh, Moldova is one of our countries, and we have no personnel there. And I, you know, most people don't even know. Do you know where Moldova is? A handful. Even though your church is actively working there for a long time, but Europeans are the same. We're like Moldova. Where exactly is that? And so I knew where it was, but knew nothing about it. So I, I invited myself along, and they, they looked so nice and warm and inviting. I said, "Can I just go with you guys?" And uh, they said, "Well, absolutely." So um, we got to go and meet the the believers there and see the work that God is doing. See people come to faith. Um, and it's, it was just an amazing time, an eye-opening time for me about the condition in Eastern Europe and the harvest field that's ripe. And uh, it just brought to mind Jesus' words that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Folks, I know that we think that times are hard and that it's hard to share the gospel, but Jesus said the harvest is ready. And it's us that he's asking to go. And so we're able to go because of you, and we're thankful for that, and we're thankful for the way your church goes and does. Um, the theme this week is is going, joining him in mission, in God's mission. In Acts 1.8, we see this famous verse that Jesus says, You'll receive power and you'll be my witnesses uh, to, to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And this morning what I want to do is I want to tie that into um, the strategy that Jesus gave his disciples for accomplishing being witnesses around the world. And that's found in Matthew 28. It's called uh, the Great Recommendation, the Great Suggestion. You might be familiar with these passages, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And it's just kind of a recommendation if believers uh, happen to feel like it fits in their, their lifestyle pattern to maybe occasionally mention Jesus and, and people's need to follow Him. And hey, if a Trinitarian approach to baptism actually fits your worldview, uh, you might consider sharing that with folks. But be careful not to ask too much of them because you wouldn't want to look weird. Right? That's what Jesus told his disciples in the great recommendation. No. And I, I think that we do this passage a disservice when we think about it, even as a commission, because in our, in our culture, commission doesn't carry the weight that commandment does. And, uh, but Jesus, he reminded his disciples of, of the, 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 the heaviness, the weight of his instructions when he says in verse 18, uh, Jesus came to the, came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now normally when I talk about this passage, we ask people, where does the Great Commission begin? Where does the Great Commandment begin? And they say, it starts with go. 
But I want you to hear me say Jesus started speaking before he said the word go. And he laid out the foundation, the groundwork for why what he was about to tell them was so important. And he starts off with all authority in heaven and earth belongs to him. Now, I'm not a mathematician. I was a pastor for 22 years before we went to the field. Uh, pastored in Texas for a long time. And I do pastoral math, Pastor Chris. You understand this, right? You look around the room and you could count, but you go, eh, there's about 200 people here. You know, it's always a, so math is not my strong suit, but I do know this, Kevin, if, if we have a basket of oranges and you have all of the oranges, how many oranges do I have? Zero. Zero. So if Jesus says all authority in heaven and earth belongs to me, what's the implication? None belongs to you. I'm the boss. I'm about to give you your marching orders. Pay attention. And that's why, as Matthew records this, um, the, the, the second word in the ESV, as some translations, it's the very first word. All authority in heaven and earth belongs to me, therefore, go. Right? One of my favorite preachers, Francis Chan, he tells a story about his daughter, uh, Rachel. And he came home, Francis came home from uh, his office and wanted to greet his daughter as he came in. He went to her room. She was a teenager at the time. He opened the door. And those of you that have teenagers, can I get an amen? He opened the door and the room was a catastrophe. <laughs> right? Now, I don't know what happens when people become teenagers. There's even a smell that comes with becoming a teenager. It's just, it's not pleasant. He opened the door and the room was a mess. And instead of greeting his daughter, he said, Rachel, clean your room. And he closed the door and he left. He went into the study and sat down. And a couple hours later, Rachel comes in and says, Hey, Dad, guess what? And he was just anticipating. You cleaned your room, right? She says, I learned what you told me. You said, Rachel, clean your room. I memorized it. In fact, I learned it in Greek. I can tell you, Rachel, clean your room in Greek. And in just a couple hours, I've invited my school friends over. And we're going to do a study on what would my room look like if I cleaned my room like my dad told me. It's comical, but we find ourselves in that situation today as a church, don't we? Jesus has given us marching orders and we study it, we memorize it. We didn't need to open our Bibles to know what this verse says. I guarantee you the majority of you in this room, as soon as I said the Great Commission, you're like, go therefore into all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that I've commanded, and I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age. You knew that. You've studied it. You've memorized it. But the question... We must answer this morning is, are you doing it? Are we doing it? And so this is our strategy on the field. This is a strategy for the church here in America. This is a strategy for, for believers. And Jesus starts it off with this, go. I love being a pastor. Uh, we were, the majority of our career, we were youth pastors. Um, and so you know that means that we never really worked. We just hung out with teenagers and we're on vacation all the time and skiing and water skiing and lock-ins and actually lock-ins. <laughs> That might have been the devil's plan to derail youth, youth ministries. Um, uh, but uh, youth ministry was a blast. And when we planted our church in Lubbock, Texas, along with the pastor who married us uh, almost 26 years ago, you made it. <laughs> she didn't think she was going to make it this long. <laughs> or that I wouldn't. Um, so when we planted that church, really what we started doing was youth ministry for adults. And it, we, it, people loved it. It was just crazy. And within three years, our church went from 30 people to almost 1,000. And what we were really doing was, we weren't just saying, come, right? We were going, but we had this, this dance we were doing with an active, thriving, healthy church that's attractive to the community. 
that bread for our people who are coming to faith and joining us in the work, the idea that it's the church's job to bring people in. And we stopped going, and we started saying, come. And this is not what Jesus told us to do. Now, there's nothing wrong with a church that does programming to reach their community. There's nothing. Don't hear me say anything anti-church here. But what I am saying is that the church does not take on the responsibility of the Great Commission so that we don't have to. Your pastoral staff, your educational staff, the, the people who do the ministry of the church are not here so that we can get out of the Great Commission. It does not replace going to say, come. In fact, we ought to be able to say, because we're going, we have something we can tell people they can come to after we've shared the gospel with them, after we've began the process of trying to make disciples with them. We have a place where they can see that lived out. The church of believers is a place for the lost to see unity and oneness. In fact, we're seeing this in other countries in the world. Did you know that China is now 10% reached? In the coming year, China has already arisen as a global church. And in the coming year, China will send more missionaries to America than America will send around the world. Let that sink in. China wants to reach America with the gospel. Can we join them in that work? Can we join them right here in Birmingham? Can we go? Even if it's just across the street, if it's to the next cubicle, go. Don't just wait and don't just say, well, we got this great thing. Come meet my pastor because he's, he's, he's very eloquent. He can explain the gospel in a way I can't. Jesus saved you and has a plan for you that is all about you making disciples. So we got to go. And we got to answer the question, where should we go? Jesus tells them, go everywhere. In fact, the, the cool thing about this is, so Matthew 28 leads into Acts 1, and a lot of theologians say that, that, that Acts 1-8 is the same instance that we're reading in Matthew 28, just recorded by Luke instead of Matthew. And so it's, it's, it's a little bit different in its nuances. But the, the idea of go to all the earth, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the world, and then Jesus ascends into heaven. This is the idea of going. But we see in Acts 1 through 7 that they don't really leave Jerusalem. But Acts 8 shows up. In Acts 8, Stephen has just been martyred. The church is being persecuted. In fact, theologians will, will, if you study this, you'll read, the church never met again the way they did in Acts chapter 2 because of the great disruption that the persecution of Saul brought to the church. But in Acts 8, 4, it says they were scattered from Jerusalem to Judea and to Samaria and further. And so we see in Acts 1 through 7, Jerusalem, Acts 8 through 12, Judea, Samaria, and Acts 13 through 28, the rest of the world. So we see this played out through the book of Acts, right? But it took the persecution in chapter 8, a disruption of the church, way bigger disruption than Corona and the pandemic have been for us. And church, we have got to take that step past, well, pandemic. Yes, whatever your stance on pandemic, political, religious, whatever, yes, there's a pandemic, but there's still people dying without Jesus that we're supposed to be reaching. And we can't let this disruption hold us back. In fact, in, in Acts 8.4, it says, as they were scattered, they went about preaching the good news. Has that been our posture in the pandemic? That... We have preached the good news in spite of this disruption to the church, this disruption to our economy, this disruption to our culture. 
We've got to recapture that. The good news. The good news is not just the front door to the church. The gospel is everything for a believer. And it should be everything that we're about. And it's the only hope that people have. While we were in Moldova, Kevin and I were out with a couple ladies who were translating for us. And we were sharing the gospel with people and delivering groceries. And I shared my testimony with this one lady. And she said, I just got goosebumps. I'm Boris, I'm guessing that's what she said because the translators told me this. I, you know, I don't speak Romanian. Bona dimineața. That's it. That's that's the extent of it. Um, And she got goosebumps. She said, that's my story. And I said, well, let me share with you the hope that changed my life and changed my story. And as we wrapped up sharing the gospel with her, we shared this very simple three circles. And she, with tears in her eyes, said, I want that hope. In fact, that's probably the only hope for my family, isn't it? I said, absolutely. And she said, I want that hope for my family. And she prayed right there to receive Jesus and asked if somebody could come read the Bible to her. Got her Bible and her teenage daughter was going to start reading the Bible with her who's lost, but she wanted that hope for her daughter. Folks, we have the only hope people have is Jesus Christ. The good news that he paid everything and he's waiting to reconcile us. Go to everyone. Baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're Baptists, right? Baptism is a big part of our deal, but what do we teach about baptism? By immersion, why by immersion? It's a symbol, right? It's a testimony, it's a witness. It is a, it's Jesus' way of saying, bring people to faith, make them disciples, and then teach them how to be a witness. And it starts with your baptism. It's like my wedding ring, which used to come off much easier than the pandemic, right? Um, I am still married, Right? <laughs> If I were to toss this to this young man here on the front row and he put it on, he would not be married. Right? It's a symbol of a relationship. It's a way that I say to the world, I have a significant relationship with someone very very valuable to me. That's what baptism is. But our testimony doesn't stop with baptism. But it's on us as the church to make disciples, bring people to faith, and teach them to be a testimony. And it starts with baptism, but doesn't stop with baptism. We're to be witnesses to the uttermost parts of the world. So we're to go to everyone. We're to teach them to be a witness, starting with their baptism, in the name of the Father, the Son, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're to teach them. I love this. You know, I grew up in a Catholic-ish home. Um, I say Catholic-ish because we claimed Catholicism, but we went maybe every few years on Christmas when it, when it fit. Um, I went through confirmation because that was important to my parents, uh, but didn't know who Jesus was. Knew a lot about him. Um, and when I went to the Baptist church for the first time, some high school students had been sharing the gospel with me. And I went and this youth pastor opened God's word and let me see that I could actually hear and learn God's word on my own. It was, it was, it was phenomenal. I'd never experienced that. Somebody else had always taught me what God's word said. I'd never learned it on my own. And so my commitment to being a Baptist has to do with two things. Our, our cooperative program, I thought that was the coolest thing. As a 17-year-old, is that a weird thing to be excited about, the cooperative program? I thought it was cool the way churches work together and this unity thing that they do. But the other thing was our, our dedication, our commitment to being people of the Word. To rightly divide God's Word and to always be willing to, to go back to God's Word as our standard for what we're teaching what we expect. And we're people who teach, right? Teach them is usually where we stop, though. Notice what Jesus says. He says, baptize them in the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe. We could also say obey 
all that I've commanded. Is that our measure for spiritual maturity? Is our measure for spiritual maturity that people are being obedient to what they're learning or that they're learning? In the West, we've really laid hold of this idea. If I could just be a part of one more Bible study, if I could just be part of one more thing, if I could just find the next devotional book or the next great theologian to inspire my faith, I'll be a better Christian. When the problem is we haven't been obedient to the things we've already learned. Teach them to obey. Obedience is our measure. Now, what do we obey? We have to learn. Don't hear me say don't lead. I'm not saying don't read your Bible. I'm not saying don't learn from the Bible. We've got to know what it is we're supposed to obey. But the measure of our maturity, well, Jesus even said like this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It's a measure of our love. We're not earning Jesus' love by being obedient. We're expressing our love to him by being obedient. And this is where it gets really great. Because, right, you know, go to everyone, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey all that Jesus commanded. And here's where the oranges come from Kevin back to me. Jesus says, and I will be with you always, even to the ends of the age. Now, who has all authority? Jesus. And who's going to be with us? Jesus. So now where is that authority? That authority is with us as we go. And, and in this text, this is a this is this is much more than a God is omnipresent and He's with us always. This is a you go, and I'm gonna be right there with you. Promise from the scriptures. Jesus will be with you. We don't have to be afraid. We don't have to be worried. We, you know, Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And sometimes we feel like, oh, it's such a burden to be a Christian. Really, it's such a burden to be a Christian who's not being obedient and doesn't understand the power of Christ who's behind him. Jesus has promised he'll be with us to the very ends of the age. So this is the challenge this morning. And in just a moment, I'm going to pray. And I think we're going to have a, a, a time of invitation. Pastor Chris is going to be here at the front. And I just want to throw this challenge out there to you. Of course, this is a missions week. And some of you might be uh, just sensing like I did after my very first trip to Kenya. That God wants me thinking about global missions. That God wants me thinking about going around the world. It took a long time for us to get there, but we got there. But that calling started then. But it might be that God's calling you to go across the street. And you know that this morning. That God's calling you to go to your neighbor. And so as a, as a, a just a moment of accountability, as a moment of please pray for me, your pastor's going to be here at the front. If, if God has laid on your heart to come up and say, hold me accountable to go share with my neighbor. Hold me accountable to share with my colleague or my coworker. He's going to be at the front. You come and let him know how it is that you'd like him to be praying for you and helping you know how to go. So let me pray for us, and then we'll continue on in the service. Father, we are just so grateful that uh, in every one of our lives there was someone who took this command to heart, who came to us with the good news and explained our need for you, and you opened our eyes to that and completely changed our reality and our existence. So, Father, I pray now that in that same spirit, we would hear your spirit calling us to go to everyone, to not choose, to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them to obey all that you've commanded, that your name might be glorified, that you might be made famous in all the world, and that we could watch the gospel continue to transform the world from Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. We pray in your name. Amen. Church, let me invite you to be seated at this time as we continue our worship celebrating this grace. We are celebrating gospel grace that leads us to go 
And so today on this first Sunday, we have the opportunity to remember and to worship as we participate in the Lord's Supper or communion. And so we we go because Christ came. Uh, We share because Jesus saves. And so as we remember, as we partake as brothers and sisters in Christ, we do so with our gaze fixed on Jesus Uh, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith, the giver of salvation, the one who is sufficient, the all-sufficient sacrifice and Savior of our sins. And so at this time, let me invite our deacons who are serving, if they would come and take their place here at the table, and let me encourage all of you, would you pause together as we continue to respond, as we continue to worship, let's pause together and remember Christ, let's confess our sins before Him, Let's prepare to receive the elements. Would you pause together with me in thanksgiving? And, oh God, we do pause together as a church, Lord, as brothers and sisters in Christ, as a faith family today, Lord, to confess our sins to you. Lord, to acknowledge that we have not measured up, Lord, that we have not been obedient, that we have not lived uh, the lives uh, that you call us to, but by your grace you have saved us. Lord, you have extended forgiveness of sins and eternal life to us through Jesus, your Son, who is our Savior, the perfect Lamb of God who takes away our sins. And so, Lord, as we think about our role in sharing in the mission, Father, in going and sharing, we know that we go as those who've been forgiven by your grace. Lord, serving the God of glory and grace. So forgive us where we fail you. And Lord, lead us now, lead us now, Lord, to remember, lead us to worship Lead us to celebrate. Lead us to anticipate. Father, lead us to fix our eyes on Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Well, church and guests alike, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, we invite you to participate this morning. And if you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've turned and trusted in Him for salvation, just a moment as our uh, leadership team on the platform, as they lead us in a, a time of worship through song, Uh, We're going to invite you to come. Come to one of these tables to receive the bread and remember the body of Christ, to receive the juice and remember the blood of Jesus that was spilled for our sins, for our salvation. You're welcome to take the elements there at the table or take them back to the pew and receive them during our time of worship. And then we'll also have one of our deacons that will be roaming around if you prefer to stay put where you are or if you prefer a prepackaged element, uh, then Brad will be glad to serve you in that way. But let's pause together once again in thanksgiving, and then you come to the table. Oh God, we do thank you. Lord, we thank you here and now for the sacrifice of Jesus. Father, we thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for life. Lord, lead us to remember, lead us to celebrate, lead us to worship as we anticipate the return of our Savior and King, in whose name we pray. Amen.